Eh? Let the kids run. <laughs> We've added a dog to our family as well oh, now. You? Yeah. Aww. We've got a wee spaniel. Oh, so, nice. That'll make you get outside. Absolutely. Yeah. So everybody got the house. Yeah, cool. His dad was the his dad was this year's gun dog champion. Oft. So uh what do you call um so he's good fun. So anyway, right, how do you want to do this? Are you you're Are you recording? I'm recording. Recording, okay. we're just chatting. Okay. So for the purposes of these, because it's like a personal conversation, we've been asking if ministers are happy being addressed by their first names. Yeah, that's fine. Is that all right? That's good, yeah. Michael and Lee. That's good. Do you remember when we were kids and it was just second nature to run around just because we loved running around? What happened? When did we all become too busy to do the things that used to make us feel so happy? And how come it now feels so hard to tear ourselves away from a computer screen or from behind a car steering wheel to prioritise the most natural thing in the world, moving our bodies? I'm Lee Craigie, and I want to see if I can find a way back to that joy of moving. Not because we should exercise, but because we want to. In this series of Moving Conversations with Scottish Ministers, I'm going to explore the motivations, benefits and barriers the people running our country feel they face in being everyday active. I want to hear stories from their active childhoods about how their levels of physical activity might have changed over time. We all have the same beating heart and we all need to take care of it. But how easy is it for us to be everyday active? I've never really known how to address you. It's been a bit, it's been weird in, in the past. You know, I'm quite an informal person. I'm always quite happy when folk just say, Michael. Well, that's great then. That's, that's, <laughs> okay. that's what I go by, Michael. Great. And today, I'm being active with Michael Matheson, the Cabinet Secretary for Net Zero, Energy and Transport. And yeah, and we'll just go drop down through the graveyard okay. and end it in Parliament. Is that okay. where you need to get to? That's what I'm going to. Yeah, yeah brilliant. That's what I'm going to. And is this something that you would normally do? Is this how you get between St Andrew's House and Parliament? Yeah, I normally or? walk up and down. If I'm going to St Andrew's House or the Parliament or from Parliament to St Andrew's House, whatever way maybe I would uh, do call it, I'd normally walk up and down the back path here. Uh-huh. And, uh, nip up and down. How easy is it for you to take the time to, like this ne- nearly didn't happen because your diary was so rammed and you're like, know. you know, we maybe had to meet inside and we yeah. said, well, that's not really the point of this. You know, the point is we take a walk together and stuff and you did rally and we're out and we're walking, which is brilliant. Yeah. But well, look, it, it, I, I no longer do as much as I used to do. So I was, uh, you know, my whole childhood from the age of 12 was spent going, uh, was spent going, you know, up and down mountains. That was my how I spent my my time, right through my teenage years, right through into my twenties and my thirties, um, and uh, even when I was in politics, I was an MSP and I was a backbencher. I was still doing. I was still involved in mountain rescues. Involved in mountain rescue for seventeen years as mm. a member of the Oakles Mountain Rescue Team. Um, uh, but ministerial responsibilities have made it more and more difficult for me to spend time mm. uh, doing the type of things that I, I love doing, uh, particularly when it, came, you know, when it comes to things like mountaineering. Mm. Um, so you have to compromise on some of these things. And then children come along as well, so you have to prioritise them. And uh, you know, one of the things, though, that I have never lost is my, my, my love for the outdoors. You know, I, I'm the sort of person that I 
love being outdoors. Uh, this will sound a bit strange, and some folk might it probably be a bit won't. weird. <laughs> but I love being out on in really adverse weather. I get that. So I, I totally so, get so, that. Elemental weather. Yeah. So yeah. see, so, so you know, if I look back on some of the epic days I had on the hill. It was days when the weather was horrific mm. and it was a real battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to this day, so if I'm going out and it is really wet or it's really cold and snowy, um, I actually, I love just putting my waterproofs on mm-hmm. and being out in that. And do you think that's the bit that, so it sounds like you were pretty adventurous in your youth and now when you know you have to do smaller stuff, you're looking for that adversity to turn it into a bit of a challenge. And so weather does that or raising your heart rate normally just will, will do that. What is it that you get out of that? I think so. I think it's just that, it's almost that personal challenge. Mm. So if you take, I always saw, you know, uh, mountaineering uh, and I always saw it as a as a personal challenge so and also the the, the, the various elements that were thrown at you in between times in the course of you know going up a mountain climbing a route whatever it may be mm-hmm. was just all part of the challenge and it was all part of the excitement involved in it and the bit that you grow to love and enjoy mm-hmm. and I actually think today in a much more restricted safer way been out actually in, you know, difficult weather or unpleasant weather, I think it brings back some of the memories and uh-huh. some of that, that, that enjoyment I used to yeah. get from being out the hills. Because I, I, making it sound as though it was like decades and decades ago, but it, it just it, it sort of, it rekindles some of that uh-huh. love I've got for just being outdoors when I'm actually, even when I'm standing watching my son playing football in really bad weather, in some ways I quite like that it it brings back memories for me and do you think it connects us with something much more almost primal than that you know I think it feels like humans are supposed to be in those sorts of conditions they're supposed to be challenged physically they're supposed to feel the elements and be in touch with their natural surroundings Um, but we've lost touch with that I think we spend so much time indoors especially for office based that we forget that we forget just how important it is for a human body to be outside and in the elements. So I, I completely agree with you. So I, you know, I spend so much time, uh, if uh, you know, not in Parliament, uh, at ministerial uh, events or meetings or uh, visiting uh, particular locations. But if there are locations that I love visiting as a minister, it's outdoor locations. Uh-huh. When I can actually always say that to my officials, look, if there's somewhere good outdoors that I can go and visit, make sure we go and visit it, because that's what I want to go and have a look at, enjoy being out uh, and going about. But I think it's that there is an element in, in this all where, well, I certainly feel it, that I'm, you know, if, if, if I was asked for, by someone to, you know, what, what sort of person are you? I'd say I'm an outdoors person. Mm-hmm. I like being outdoors. I want to be outdoors. If I, you know, uh, if we've recently, for example, we've recently brought a, a, a puppy into the family, you know, it's got me out even more. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that I have to get up, um, you know, at six o'clock in the morning to take him out for a walk, actually, from my point of view, I quite enjoy that. Uh-huh. So has it made my day longer and a bit more difficult in some ways? It has, actually. Uh-huh. I quite enjoy it. Is it raining outside? It is. But, you know, I've got a decent set of waterproofs. Uh-huh. And I think it's just that, just being out, and I think that personal connection with the outside. And I think I've mentioned to you previously, you know, 
Although I ended up as an occupational therapist, I originally was going to be a forester because I wanted to work in the outdoors. And some of the things that I was involved in in the past, you know, I was, I was involved in the scouts uh, from uh, the age of when you could be a cub right through. But I, uh, and I was an assistant leader at one point, but I, you know, I used to teach abseil and rock climbing at an outdoor centre, you know. Um, uh, one of the best ways to travel around if you're a student is to bivy. And what I used to do was hitchhike at the same time. So, um, and I think there's a big part of that. It is about connecting with the environment and, and being outside that uh-huh. I think some folk are actually into it and some are not. And I always was. I just love that. So how do you reconcile that with your life now? Because it sounds like you've got a pack diary, you've got kids, you've got a puppy, you've got lots and lots of demands on your time. How, and you've said to me just, just early, you've said that after politics, you want to get back to that. So there's, there's obviously something missing in the way that your day-to-day um, work life happens. So how do you reconcile, how do you get through your days without being able to do that stuff that really sounds like it brought you alive a few years ago? You're right. It's probably the bit that I miss the most in, in the job I do just now is that I don't have the same time and the opportunity to, uh, to spend in outdoors in the way in which I would want to. So if I look back at my time uh, when I was in my 20s and 30s with my friends, you know, you know, we were always planning our trips away. Mm-hmm. So our trips away, whether it was to, um, whether it was just around Scotland or whether it was going to the Alps or whether it was going to Norway or one occasion going to the Himalayas, it was always about looking for further adventures mm. somewhere else to try things out and do it in a different way. And I do miss that. And I think when I'm no longer in politics, I'd like to find a way in which I can actually spend much more mm. time outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I think I've had the time to help to work with young people in supporting them in getting to appreciate and understand the value of the outdoors. That's probably something I would quite enjoy mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. So I no longer have the skill set that would, you know, make me an instructor in something but you've got the uh, passion though and you've got that connection and you can I can see that like you'd be great at that yeah I'd love to I'd love to try and help to encourage young people because I think there's a yeah. um, uh, a lot of young people still don't get the experience of yeah. of what's positive and what's good about outdoors I think young people have got now the next generation of young people don't get the same opportunities that I think we had to be outdoors and active yeah. like I remember playing in the street outside my my house like until it was dark or being able just to move autonomously you know, explore by bike and just cut around and have my own little adventure I remember that as a kid and I think that's probably what encouraged me to do the sort of stuff that you're talking about as an adult yeah. but I, I'm not sure that our young people have that opportunity now to, to do that same stuff I think society's changed a little bit I agree with you I think it has changed quite a bit um, uh, you know I can look at my own kids they spend a lot of time outdoors um, but not to the same degree that I did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so there has been a fundamental change there. There's also not the same access, I think, to outdoor education in the way in You're which right. there was in the past. Half the amount of LA of centres yeah. now. You know, uh-huh. and the, the learning experience I had from them, not just from an outdoor education point of view, I can remember when I was doing my higher biology and my higher geography, you know, going to Fasquely House to do specific programmes uh-huh. on biology and geography outdoors. Uh-huh. You know, and there's an element now where, you know, I'm, 
you know, I talk to my kids about glaciology when they're doing their geography stuff, because mm-hmm. that was my favourite part of geography, is that, and when I'm, you know, when, I'm, when I've got them in Glencoe and I'm saying to them, well, that's a truncated spur, that's a hanging valley. So that's a U-shaped valley and talking about quarries, etc. But that's the first time they're experienced, they're actually seeing that. I don't think you can teach some of these subjects without kids actually physically seeing, seeing it, it and actually yeah. being there and understanding yeah. that actually it's something that you can touch, you can see. I agree. It's part of the makeup yeah. of the country you stay in, rather than actually being something that they see yeah. in a video or they see in a book. Yeah. And further to that, I don't think you can love the outdoors. You can't protect the outdoors unless you love it. And you can't love it unless you're in it. And so in terms of like our climate crisis as well, not just kids, because I think actually kids have got a really good handle on that. You know, we all need to get out there to appreciate what it is that we need to be preserving. Yeah. but it's just making that time. Like we've talked, we've both got busy jobs. We've just talked about yeah. how difficult that is to try and fit in. Um, it's the thing that we let go, isn't it? It's that, it's that like, oh, I just don't have time for a run. I don't have time to go outside. So I'll just not do that. Like I was just at COP recently. You'll have been yeah. thick in the negotiations. Yeah. I was outside with the people singing and dancing and chanting with their feet in the grass. And then I would go inside and be like, oh, everyone's in a room trying to make these decisions in a room with no windows. How can you make decisions about our environment? Environment, unless you can see and touch and feel and care so for our really environment. That's a interesting point because that was my first. That was my first experience of COP. Uh-huh. The one thing that I, you know, having spent two weeks there, and, and involved from the Scottish government's perspective and the Scottish government's planning and management uh, of our own events around COP, uh-huh. is that it's quite divorced from reality uh-huh. and it's quite divorced from people. I was going to COP one day and there was a guy going in with a wheelbarrow full of rice. So, and as my understanding, the point he was making was that he was a, an indigenous person who was trying to make the point is that we are losing our land now, mm. and this is our, 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 our stable crop. And if you don't take action now, the amount of rice I'll be coming back here with next year will be even less than right. it is now and it will just dwindle, dwindle to the point that we no longer have land to produce that's uh, real. some of our and I, that, that was the thing that struck me I thought that is actually much more profound and meaningful uh-huh. than some of the big discussions that were taking place between world leaders mm. I'm not you know, dismissing the importance of world leaders trying to get agreement in these matters mm. but to me I thought that symbolically that's really really powerful yeah. uh, and it tells a story in itself and I think that's the important thing. You, 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 you won't appreciate your nature, your natural environment. The fact that, you know, people talk about protecting your ecosystems. Well, you know, we're part of the ecosystem. We are the ecosystem. You know, so we're, yeah. we're part of it. We're not yeah. something that, you know, we're not just there to manage it. Yeah. We're there to, we're part of it. Yeah. So things like outdoor education, I always felt from my experience in it, is that you get a better understanding on that. So if you're doing, you know, you know, if you get an opportunity to do stuff on looking at, uh, from a geography point of view or a biology point of view, you know, spending time in rivers, looking for mayflies, all these types of things, is you then understand is that we're all part of this ecosystem and why we need to value and why we need to look after uh-huh. it. So, so I think young people, just going back to your point, I don't think young people are getting the same opportunity to be exposed to that. You know, we should try and encourage that and address it, but I think it's also reflected in the way in which things like big international events like COP take place and what can be 
quite divorced from yeah. from from people and and an environment that they're meant to be there to protect. Uh-huh. What do we do about... Well, maybe we shouldn't go into what it is we do about that. I guess this is a, a personal conversation about how we manage ourselves in amongst yeah. the biz and the, and the distractedness and the disconnect that can go on in a, in a busy person's life. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm interested in where that came from with you. I'm just about to step out of the graveyard now onto a bit of a cobbled road, so it sounds a little bit different here, but... Yeah. Are we doing OK for time, Michael? Yeah, I think yeah. we're good, yeah. Yeah, cool. We'll yeah. walk round to the front of the parliament anyway. So this road is really noisy, Michael, so we'll go up through this archway. Marie Todd showed me this way back way into Parliament. Sure. It's just quieter sure. and a bit greener. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I know the route. So a big thing that I, uh, I would say that um, in politics and uh, whether you're a minister or not, it can be quite an artificial environment at times. And I think one of the things that you always need is something that can help to ground you and just keeping you in a space that's a bit uh, much more familiar to you in terms of where you're comfortable and it's not there's no demands on you or expectations on you. Doing stuff now outdoors is a great example of that. Uh-huh. You know, one of the things that I started doing at times was um, uh, started doing more mountain biking. Not mountain biking in your sort of, you know, <laughs> uh, level, but... Oh, that'll just get you hurt. <laughs> doing more, well, exactly, yeah. So, well, I did the downhill at uh, Anakmoa. Oh, did you? Yeah, Recently? And, uh, the new one? No, I did. It was a good number of years ago, but I broke my ribs in the course of doing oh, it. Oh, no, did so, you? So, yeah, so well, I badly bruised them, I think it was, but oh, it felt as though they were broken, but they... Um, I just uh, did that myself, actually. It's so painful, oh, isn't yeah. it? And the guy I was coming down with, I think he'd broken his wrist about five or six times, but... You shouldn't have been anyway, hanging out with him by the time Exactly, <laughs> so... But the other one was, um, what do you call, uh, was skiing. So, because again, I really enjoyed it as an activity because you're out, outdoor environment, um, it's you and whatever you're operating in, and uh, uh, weather-wise, I always ski in Glencoe, where the weather's always very changeable. But again, it's just an opportunity to actually get into that outdoor space and to sort of close your mind to just what you're doing uh-huh. between you, your skis and the elements uh-huh. um, as well. So, well, What do you do on a daily basis to keep yourself sane? So do you do that stuff at the weekend if you can if you can convince your, yeah. your kids and your dog it's a good idea? But what do you do like during the... What's your, what's your typical working week look like? My normal working week is Monday constituency, sometimes ministerial, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Parliament, Ministerial. Uh, Friday, I try to do constituency, and uh, sometimes it's ministerial as well. And then sometimes ministerial stuff at the weekends and the odd constituency stuff. But That's I a tr- lot, isn't it? Yeah, but I try to be quite protective of my weekends so uh, so I can spend time with my kids. So I, I have a, one of my boys plays a pro youth level. So he's all over the country. So he, you know, sometimes he's up in, you know, he can be up playing Ross County or he can be up playing Aberdeen or oh. Inverness or Dundee. So I try to protect time so that I'm spending time with them and what uh-huh. they're actually doing as well. So I tend to be quite protective of my weekends where I can to try and build in family time. That sounds pretty healthy. But the bit I, I try to do is I, I try to... Uh, to try and do something that allows me to cover enough miles is cycling. Uh-huh. So I try to cycle. I've got an e-bike now. Great things. Great, great things. The boys uh, use their bikes quite a lot. So there's new bikes in order for them as well for Christmas. Hope they oh, don't hear this. <laughs> so uh, we just call uh, new mountain bikes. And the other thing is that um, 
I, where I can, I walk everywhere. So that was a thing I got from my dad. My dad used to walk everywhere. Where I can, within reasonable distance, I just walk. What's a reasonable so, distance for you? I would quite easily... I stay in Glasgow. I quite easily walk into Glasgow city centre from the south side of Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from the Queen's Park area, okay. I would just walk into the city centre. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't bother me and walk back out again. So uh, that, to me, would be a reasonable walk. Uh-huh. And fitting that into your daily means that, you know, you're not necessarily taking time away f- to do something specific it's just you need to be somewhere and so you yeah yeah you know yeah. my constituency yesterday I, I walked to the high school that you know I, I walked here and they were saying oh you know take me out you know where's your car sort of idea I said no I just walked here mm-hmm. you know it's a nice day just just walk so uh-huh. I love uh, walking and I know from my private office staff that's a that's always a point of contention for them so oh, I just said well I'll just walk here so and idea what do they say Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, yeah. So we just walk there. Yeah. So, uh, oh, do they have caught, to come with you? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> so, Good for uh, you. Uh, so sometimes it's a point of contention. They with don't them. sound so, that happy. No, about no. Are you sure? So. Uh, <laughs> oh, do they want you to drive? Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, you call, uh, and sometimes it well, makes it easier management. So uh-huh. from a time point of view, so get you there and whatever. Because if you're walking, it's going to take longer. Uh-huh. So as well. But take take you longer. But what are the benefits? Eh? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Oh, we're nearly at, nearly at Parliament. Does that mean nearly back to work? Nearly back to work, um, although I'm going to go in up this way. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. I'll I come can, back I can... up that way with you because is that I okay? st- still want to grab um, from you your school run. So I, school I remember run. having a conversation with you a few months ago now where you alluded to quite an adventurous school run. Where you, the, something about... Um, Something about throwing rocks at something. Oh goodness me! What was that? Goodness me! Tell, yeah, tell us about how you used to get to school. So I used to, I used to walk to school. So they stopped uh, for some reason. They stopped running school buses to my high school. Um, well, largely because I think they were getting damaged too much. So when I started school, I was the youngest of three boys. Uh, there were no buses to school, so I walked. It's about a three-mile walk there and back, uh-huh. and um, it was uh, it was down to the Gorbos. Uh-huh. And uh, I was walking down from Tory Glen, there was a, a during the minor strike, uh-huh. there was a, there were the trucks that were breaking the picket, that were, uh, that were taking the coal into Ravens Craig, and they were passing down the road that we used to walk to school. So, and we used to stand and throw stones at the trucks as they passed. Uh, because they were seen as, at that time, as they were seen as being breaking the picket. Uh-huh. So, uh, and it wasn't a done thing. And you know, my dad was active. He was a truck driver, and he was a uh, he was active in his trade union. And mm. what these guys, in his view, were doing was wrong. And I was at the age where, well, that's they're wrong. So, uh-huh. so me and my friends we used to throw stones at them. But um, we're still in that. But my my uh, walking three miles to school and back in your school uniform during the winter. Uh-huh. used to bring some real challenges. There are times you used to turn up in school where you were absolutely soaked through uh-huh. and school hadn't even started yeah. uh, because, uh, because of the journey you had to make so to get there. And they never, ever restarted the school buses. So, um, so right until I finished in six, you always had to walk down to school. You always had to walk to school, yeah. Yeah. 
and in the meantime we've just got to keep selling the the joy of it to our kids that are like really dad do we have to walk yeah like, how do we make that fun how do we make walking to school fun like let's turn it into little adventures on the way to school Absolutely. let's try and inject a bit of that enthusiasm you had for hitchhiking to tain or to the alps and well, because I, as I always say to my, my boys when it's you know it's really wet and they don't want to go outside like, your skin's waterproof uh-huh. so you know it'll get to a point where you get so wet so my son was away doing his bronze Duke of Edinburgh at the weekend there. Oh yeah, so, uh, good for him. Uh, it, uh, it went well for him. So uh, Ducot, he's good. His camp craft's pretty decent. So because he's done been camping and stuff like that before, I think some of his friends struggled with it, uh, but they get soaked through. Uh huh. And we had this big debate before he left on whether he was going to use a rucksack liner or not. Uh-huh. And I told him use a rucksack liner. Weather forecast. Don't be daft. Use a rucksack liner, James. No, Dad, I'm not using a rucksack liner. I've got this thing to put over the top of it. So I said, your stuff's going to get wet. I said, rucksack liner. Refuse to do it, what happened? All your stuff get wet. Sometimes you just got to have your own learning. That's what It's I so said. important, isn't so it? He said, oh, my sleeping bag get wet. Well, what do you think? <laughs> and, you know, packed his bag, whatever sort of idea. He had his stuff all in the wrong place. said, you know, why is, your, why, is your, why is your sleeping bag at the bottom of your bag? You know, your sleeping bag shouldn't be at the bottom of your bag. You know, that's you should be putting your stove and stuff like that sort of idea. Waterproofs at the top with your sleeping bag so when you get there, tent up, you know, you need your waterproof sort of idea, you get your sleeping bag in quickly. Yeah, you, know? you, you need somebody other than your dad to tell you that stuff. I know. It must be so frustrating so, when you've was, got that knowledge, but... I felt as uh-huh. I just felt... Anyway, he was, uh, <laughs> caught, but it was an experience for him, so uh-huh. he's now moving on to his silver. That's brilliant. So, uh, Good for caught, him. Um, nice one, so, James. Uh, yeah. It's funny, you, so your skin's waterproof, son, but I've got these really expensive Paramo... <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Did you lend him your your Paramo Salafes? Too big for him. So oh, shame, too big for, shame him. for him. So as well. So you uh, call? Um, but no, I'm a. Say I'm a big fan of giving kids outdoor experience. Mm-hmm. You know things, organisations like the Venture Trust and stuff. Yeah. Like that, I think do an absolutely fantastic job. Yeah, there's loads of them, and those local the local authority centres that we both worked for back in the day. The fact that the you know there's only half the amount that there used to be that is yeah. absolute just criminal. Yeah. There needs to be something done about that. It's so important um, that all kids have access to some sort of outdoor learning. And I think it's trying to think about outdoor learning in a different way. And I think when you consider how we're trying to, you know, we've just come out of COP26, you know, we've got the global climate emergency, but we've also got the nature loss crisis. Yeah. I can't think of a, I can't think of a better space in which to educate and inform kids about these things than if they're in that space yeah, itself. Yeah. Yeah. Come and see it. Yeah. Experience it. Look at it. Yeah. You know, touch it, smell it. Yeah. Uh, experience it. Uh-huh. And then you'll start to value it. It's the only and way. You'll understand it. Yeah. Uh, and why it's so important. Well. And that exact same message needs to be said to our global leaders who won't, you know, who won't leave their conference rooms to who won't leave their conference rooms to experience and feel and yeah. you know, get in touch with the important stuff, I think. Yeah. But, and, and maybe like, it's our kids that need to teach them that. Yeah, and also meeting the guy that's coming in with his barrel. <laughs> With his barrel of rice. Oh. That tells you something quite profound. Yeah. You know, so yeah. uh, it's not about, you know, coming in on private jets, going into a hotel, going into a negotiating room and then leaving, mm. you know, by the same means as well. Is it actually uh-huh. this is this is this is this is about people's lives, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think trying to give kids the experience and the value of outdoor education, I think, is really, really important mm. to try and help to get them to understand these things as well, mm. or to support their learning. Mm-hmm. I think they understand it, but to support their learning to support their as learning. well, to give it, make it much more in depth. Sounds like you're going to go back into outdoor ed after politics, isn't it? 
Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking along the same lines, you know. This job's been interesting for three years, but actually the stuff that makes me tick is the, is the working directly with kids, the hands-on stuff. I don't have any qualifications nowadays so uh, for it, so I'll be, I'll be back to start again. But uh-huh. I would certainly like to try and help to... Uh, yeah, I think I would, something doing, doing something outdoors would yeah. be absolutely ideal for me. Uh-huh. So uh, and working with young people outdoors uh-huh. that'd be perfect as well. So uh, oh, that would uh, be that would be so interesting for you to go into that with your life experience in in politics and everything that you've learned there. It'd be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know nowadays. I'm not you know I'm not involved in it. So I don't know whether. You know, whether they, um, in teaching kids about outdoor education, whether they do as much around things like camp craft and mm-hmm. how you bivy and how you, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that a lot of things that I used to do are probably off the risk threshold of what you should be doing with young people nowadays. Mm. So would you call... Um, well, that's interesting know. because I think that, I think you're right, it's sort of reached its peak in Outdoor Ed and now the Adventure Activities Licensing Authorities are asking us to try and put more risk back in. We've sterilised our outdoor adventurous activities for kids. We need to be putting a bit more risk back in. So yeah. for Allah to say that is so exciting, like, Oh, we've realised that we've taken this too far. We need to put a boundary around things, yeah. but we also need to let kids suffer a little bit. You know, let James forget to put his rucksack liner in and get a wee Absolutely. bit wet because that's the stuff actually that you remember and that you teaches us. You need a cold night camping. Well, that's what happens when you don't plan and you don't do things uh-huh. right. So yeah. I've made that mistake. I'm sure we've you've all made, made that, that mistake. mistake. We've all been there. So uh-huh. you learn from these mistakes, yeah. and you, and you know, from your experience. You plan, I bet you plan your trips now, thinking through the things that you know that you've made mistakes about in the past, but you'll, you'll pack your sack, you'll plan your food, you'll plan your route, thinking through all these things, and you get that through experience. Because I've been given the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. It's pure experience that you yeah. get that from. And I still get it wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> I still totally get it wrong. You know, if you're not you getting know, it wrong, then you're not you learning anything. You get it wrong sort of idea. You know, it's like when I spent my time in mountain rescue, you know, folk do mistake, make mistakes in the hills. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the good thing is there's actually other climbers there that are prepared to go out and help them. So, um, so I know when I joined mountain rescue, my risk threshold changed. Hmm. I became more risk averse. Oh, did you? That's yeah. interesting. And when became, you had kids, did you become more risk averse? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, you're, so, my, so the daft things that I was prepared to do uh-huh. uh, uh, at an earlier stage, I would know I would just say that's too risky. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I would, I've, I've, yeah, so your threshold changes. Mm. So, but I think for young people educating and experiencing the outdoors now, you know, I think it's important that they do make mistakes and there's risks involved And in is it. it still important for us to continue to take risks and to make mistakes? Like, I, I feel myself closing down a little bit to that too. You know, I feel like I don't take the same amount of risks that I did before, but that's how you grow. That's how you stay curious. It's how you keep learning by putting yourself into those positions of challenge and adversity, not always doing what you've always done before. How important do you think it is that we keep growing and learning and putting ourselves out there too, even though our levels of risk have changed. I think that's a really good point. But I actually think as a politician, and in particular as a minister, mm. uh, to be seen to be making a mistake or getting something wrong is, is 
is quite difficult nowadays. What a shame. So, so even if it's not about politics, if it's about yeah. you know if you were out in the hills and you made a mistake You're and you had to get rescued, the whole time, idea, you? I mm-hmm. think that would be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. So, um, whereas as an individual, out of that type of environment, then I think it's really important. So, uh-huh. I think um, I think that's a good challenge yeah. for people like me. Is that you know, are we compromising our ability to learn and develop? as individuals because we work in an environment now which is quite unforgiving mm. uh, and and the level of scrutiny we're under means that actually the space to make those mistakes mm. has actually closed quite markedly mm. uh, and that you're always on guard to try and uh-huh. avoid that happening so I think so I think there may have been you know I think I think uh, you know in the work I'm in now yeah I think that's probably quite a difficult space yeah. for us and that probably compromises our development and yeah. it probably compromises the things that I would see as being, you know, acceptable risks. Uh-huh. It's not that different, really, to what, we're, what we've done to our kids over the last couple of decades, is it? To try to remove that risk, keep everybody safe, not challenge, not, not, not grow. It's the same sorts of environments. Well, I, mm. I you know, I, I remember my, my, one of my boys in the first, when he was going off to do his, his week residential course at primary school. And I remember going along to the talk from the head teacher and I won't mention the school or anything, but uh, she mentioned, uh, what do you call it? she says, they're going to go and do an outdoor stuff. Uh, they'll be doing uh, G-climbing, whatever sort of idea, but they're not doing any water sports. And I asked him, well, does the centre offer water sports? Yes, they offer water sports, but we're not doing any water sports because they're too risky. So why are they too risky? <sighs> but it was, it, was a re- it was a reflection of that the school weren't prepared to take on that risk. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, that's the kids are losing out because of that. We're failing our young people if we don't allow that, because then when do they ever develop their own sense of what it is to do something risky and yeah. where their boundary is? They, you know, we're, we're setting them up for a failure much later on if we don't allow them to figure out what is safe within that boundary. Absolutely. Yeah. So, would you call it, so, the, so, so, you know, we're now at the point where even in some of the programmes that are run through schools is that they're actually saying there's elements that they don't want to do because they think it might be too risky. Mm. In my view, it's but you know, you know from your experience in outdoor education, sort of idea is that, it, you know, a lot of outdoor education is about managing risk mm-hmm. and it's helping young people to understand how do you manage some of that risk. Mm-hmm. So the weather's a risk, the terrain's a risk. Mm-hmm. All of these factors that can come into, uh, come into play when you're out in the outdoor environment. So you have to think about how do you manage them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the point, isn't it? It's not about removing it. Those are the, that's the point of an outdoor experience. Absolutely. But, you know, you, know you, never, you can never eliminate all the risk. You know, when I used to teach folk rock climbing and abseiling, you know, they might be on a safety rope, but, you know, you can never eliminate all the risks. Uh-huh. A mistake could be made or uh-huh. an accident could happen. You could injure yourself. Yeah. You're not likely to kill yourself, but yeah, you could yeah, injure yeah. yourself. You could fall on a rock and hurt your face or your arm or whatever sort of idea. You know, but... Um, but that's part of the risk, that's part of the experience is that you're doing things and you're putting yourself in a space where you're being exposed to risks that you wouldn't mm-hmm. experience uh, in your normal day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. That's part of the benefit, that's part of the enjoyment of it, yeah. is that you're testing that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I, during the summer when we were away up in Skyne holiday, I took the boys gorge walking um, in the Coolins and they absolutely loved it because it was, jumping 10 metres into plunge pools and stuff like that. Um, but it, it felt to me that, um, and we used, we used a, it was an outdoor centre I used up there to help because I didn't know, I don't know the area. Um, but it felt to me as though, that's the sort of thing, 
kids should have the opportunity to do on an ongoing basis. Totally. You know, that should be a so one-off that I organise for yeah. them while I'm on holiday, yeah. which is great for them to do. And you're able to do I'm that. Lucky and you know the to value. do it. Yeah. Uh, but there's lots of kids that are not getting that experience yeah. still, which is a shame. Well, sounds like we've got our work cut out for us after we leave our current jobs. We have. <laughs> There's lots of opportunities. I'm conscious of time. It must be yeah, your, your time as well. Go. You'd better go. Oh, I better go. I should. Yeah, we should let you get to work. I'm sorry if we have wandered off. Oh, yeah. thanks very much, Michael. It's been really nice to see you again. Yeah.